0: you want to join me numbers chapter 16 as we continue going through the word together we're in number 16 this evening and lord willing i'd like to cover number 16 and 17 together as they as you see sort of uh Uh, address uh, as a couplet uh, this whole issue of uh, a struggle with rebellion that went on uh, during a season in the children of Israel's lives there as they were beginning their wilderness wanderings during those 38 years and you know again 1 Corinthians uh, tells us in chapter 10 Romans 15 tells us that these things recorded in the Old Testament were recorded for our admonition as examples as even believers at the end of the age, that we wouldn't stumble in the same errors and mistakes historically that happened among the congregation of Israel uh, in that day. And keep in mind, uh, there's a lot that God could have recorded that transpired in 38 years of them wandering through the wilderness. Certainly, we don't have every day, every event, every experience recorded for us, which sort of makes us then all the more Sort of stop and think about, okay, therefore, the things that the Spirit of God found pertinent to record, therefore, of what did happen, uh, they must be essential. They must be for a reason. And uh, chapter 16 and 17 of the book of Numbers, the centrality of the issue at hand really is rebellion. Uh, and, you know, the book of James tells us submit to God uh, and resist uh, the devil. And I think submission is such a key issue in all of our lives because at the root of every one of our beings, uh, we're just rebellious at heart. Maybe I am speaking for, my, for myself, with one or two people nod and act feel a little, thank you, feel a little more normal. But at the, at the core of our being, um, we're just rebellious by nature. Uh, it comes automatically. If you think of the root uh, of uh, the devil and and what uh, he was based in, uh, the the pride and the rebellion against the authority of God. And I think such a central issue for every human being is coming to a place where we truly do what James says, submit to God. Before it even says resist the devil, it just says submit to to God, because that is such a continuous struggle, not only before somebody submits to God initially and coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ and accepting Jesus as the Lord over your life. But then, I don't know about you, but I find that there's always this constant wrestling within to to rebel against the Lord in, in different ways in my life. To rebel against His Word, to rebel against what His Spirit is trying to do within me or through me. and So this is a continuous struggle and we all have the same potential for rebellion in our lives. And uh, the Bible tells us that rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft i mean that's that's a pretty strong statement that the bible speaks to in regards to rebellion and recognizing that we have that propensity and that's something that comes from our flesh uh, the bible says that the works of the flesh are evident galatians 5 it says the works of the flesh here are some of them listed from galatians five twenty: idolatry sorcery hatred contentions jealousies outbursts of wrath selfish ambitions dissensions heresies and and take note how a lot of that shows up in these chapters that's the root issue of of what's going on here james says in his writing james chapter 3 if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts do not boast and lie against the truth this wisdom does not descend from above but's earthly sensual and demonic for where envy and self-seeking exist Confusion and every evil thing are there. Now, I want you to remember those verses from James 3, verse 14 to 16, because they are a picturesque commentary on exactly what you're going to see in this story. Rebellion, pride, envy, self-seeking, and how what that causes in the midst is confusion and all kinds of evil things that begin to arise in the lives of individuals and among the congregation of Israel because of self-seeking and envy and which all of these things again are just they're just attributes of rebellion at the heart and again not necessarily rebellion against man it's rebellion against God against God's authority at the end of the day and I've said to people many times before just even last week I was talking to A friend of ours in relation to her uh, young adult son, and I just said to her, look, the bottom line is this, until he submits to God, he'll never be able to submit to anybody. He's never going to be able to submit to it in a job or in a workplace or until a person genuinely has a life submitted to God. It's very hard to submit to people. It's extremely difficult, but when a person does come to that place where the authority of God rules over your life, somehow that tends to help work that out on the horizontal because when you, in a sense, are genuinely submitted to God, then it's not as much of a struggle to say, look, okay, therefore I can you know, submit to this realm of authority in my workplace or in this organization or so on and so forth. So watch how these things play themselves out as we go through this story together. Numbers chapter 16 begins by telling us of this sort of rebellion that took place instigated by this man Korah and watch the incredible consequences the far-reaching consequences of what takes place just through the rebellion of one person's heart uh, somewhat of a reminder of how the rebellion of one angelic being the devil caused a whole lot of havoc on a wide scale level he says now Korah the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath the son of Levi now take note of that this man is a Levite You remember who the Levites were. They were the people, the chosen tribe by God to handle what? All the tabernacle work. Uh, And they were member in three families, the Kohathites, the Merites, the Gershonites. So this is a relative of Moses and Aaron. He's from the same tribe. This would be a cousin of sorts. He is a Levite. I mean, this isn't just somebody who's completely disconnected from the things of God. Moses is going to address that. This is somebody who the call of God is upon his life. He's being used by the Lord. He has privilege and access and a place of ministry, a sphere of responsibility that God has entrusted to him. Important to remember this. So that's who this man is, Korah. He's of the family of Kohath. They carried the the. Uh, temple furnishings from the interior of the tabernacle that is things like the table of showbread and the menorah and the ark of the covenant Uh, he was involved handling the responsibility of these sacred and holy things "...together with a man named Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and An, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, who was from the firstborn, they took men, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, notice, 250 leaders of the congregation." representatives of the congregation, men of renown. So, uh, again, this wasn't just a small, this was quite a sophisticated attempt to cause a, a palace coup, if you would, to, to cause a out-and-out out resistance and rebellion against the leadership and the authority of Moses and Aaron. I mean, this guy, Korah, uh, not only is he divisive, as an individual, and, and and rebellious in his spirit, and a troublemaker, but notice, like a lot of divisive people, he's very good at drawing other people into what he's doing. I mean, he manages not only to gather together Dathan and Abiram and, and on, but also, it says, he's able to assemble, look at verse 2, 250 individuals, and these weren't just 250 people who were disconnected and sort of you know, outcasts in the society that nobody else would give attention to so he could get a sympathetic ear because this guy would belong to anything because nobody talks to him. No, it says here, verse 2, that he assembled 250 people who were leaders, representatives, and men of renown. In other words, famous, influential people. So he's able to very much persuade Very influential people and divisive people are very good at manipulating and therefore they go after people of influence so they can have a greater impact if they really want to cause problems uh, and create trouble. They know how to work individuals. So he assembles this rather large group. I mean, this is not just... Two people coming and complaining. This is a, you know, 250 plus of the very influential people among the congregation of Israel. Representatives, leaders, people who are very well known and famous and influential among the congregation. And they gathered together, verse 3, against Moses and Aaron and said to them, here's their indictment or their accusation now, you take too much upon yourselves. For all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. The idea is he's just as much among them, and they are just as holy as you. You think you're holier than thou is kind of the implication. Why then, they say to Moses and Aaron, do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So they come to Moses and Aaron and basically begin create false accusations. They begin to challenge them. And what they're basically saying at the root of this sort of challenge and false accusation to them, because of, again, out of envy, out of self-seeking, they have an agenda here. There's a selfish agenda behind this. They're, they're envious. Uh, they're, they're looking to obtain some authority that they don't have, that in some way, again, they're, they're jealous of what Moses and Aaron have and wanting those things, they come, and they basically accuse them of being self-appointed leaders. They say, well, you know, everyone else is just as holy as you, and everyone else has the you know, a presence of God with them just as much as you do. And then they say, verse three, why do you exalt yourselves among the assembly? Listen, if, if anybody knew the history, all you gotta do is rewind a little bit. We've studied it from Genesis up to this point. That was the furthest thing, from the truth in regards to Moses and Aaron. Do you remember what Moses was doing? Exodus 3 and 4, he was on the backside of a desert walking around, tending sheep for his father-in-law and completely disconnected to everything that was happening with Israel and God reveals himself to Moses, breaks into Moses' life and then what does he have to do? He has to work really hard even to convince Moses To embrace the call of God and to answer the call. And listen, same thing with Aaron. These men didn't exalt themselves. They were appointed by God. God appointed them. God gave them that sphere of authority. They simply answered the call of God and even quite reluctantly. But yet here they're being accused of, well, you're self-appointed leaders. You're trying to just control everybody and you, you just think that, you know, that you're more holy than everyone else and you're no more holy than anybody else. And so, again, these false accusations and indictments. And again, whenever this kind of thing happens, and, and you know, it is amazing how the, there's sort of the expressed concern or the expressed uh, you know, uh, sentiments. And then there's always the, the, the real thing that's going on down in someone's heart. And the real thing is here, there's a sense of of jealousy, there's a sense of envy, there's self-seeking, you can see that's going on here that will come to the surface. And what they're doing is they're falsely equating the fact that they have a role of leadership as if somehow that would make a person more spiritual or more important in a sense. Well, that's a poor equation. The only reason Moses and Aaron were in a place where they were, it's not because they were more spiritual or more important it was just because by the sovereign choice of God, God appointed them for that. Uh, and there was nothing less inferior about their role or their ministry. That's the mistake that they're making, which then contributes to them having jealousy and wanting to have more than God gave them to push into a sphere where God didn't call them to that creates a bunch of rebellion against what God had established for the sake of the people and to provide healthy leadership for the congregation so they begin to why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the lord you've you've taken this position to yourself verse four so when moses heard it he fell on his face again shows you the meekness and humility of moses he he falls on his face as he does many times because he's it's almost like the idea here, Moses falling on his face, it's almost like you can picture Moses saying, oh, no, I don't want to see what's going to happen next. You know, <laughs> he's he's seen this play itself out more than once. So it's like, oh, no, what's going to happen this time? So, you know, he just falls on his face in humility. And then he rises and speaks to Kara and to his company saying tomorrow morning. Notice he doesn't begin to defend himself. And I think that's another way you can often tell when someone truly has authority from the Lord is there's just there's just a sense of security in that there's not a territorial attitude there's not hey what are you doing trying to step into my territory or or just hey he's going to say let's just let the lord prove this out and and if okay if, if we've appointed ourselves to this and you're the better fit then let's let the lord prove that out and if the lord wants you instead of us great Well. Pack up our suitcases and, uh, you know, move on to a new location, if you would. He says, tomorrow morning, verse 5, the Lord will show. We don't have to show that we're God's men. We don't have to show that we're in control. The Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses he will cause to come near to him. Do this, he says, verse six, take censers, Korah, and all your company, put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. Now, it's very interesting. Take notice what he's doing. He says, here's how God's gonna prove this out. You take censers and you put fire in them. That's very interesting because who took censers and put fire and incense in them? The priests did that. And what they want is to push into the priesthood, as we're going to see here. So basically, Moses says, look, do you want to be a priest that bad? Then here, do you then, then do what the priests do. Go get yourself a, a you know a censer, put some fire in it. you really want to be a priest that bad, then do some priestly stuff. Here you go, he says, we'll, we'll allow you to do that. Go get a censer, put fire in it, and tomorrow, he says, it shall be, verse 7, that the man whom the Lord chooses... Is the Holy One, and then he says to him, end of verse 7, you take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. So Moses gives a godly rebuke there in humility, but he gives a godly rebuke. He says, Look, the very thing that you're accusing us of is the thing that you're doing yourself. You're taking too much upon yourself by trying to exalt yourself into a place where God has not called you to and trying to push beyond the sphere and the boundary of ministry that God's given to you, trying to take a next step up. We're thinking somehow it's more important to be the next rung up on the ladder. So he he gives just a reproof here, a godly rebuke. You, he says, are taking too much upon yourselves. And then Moses said, hear now, you sons of Levi. Look what he reminds them of, verse nine. Is it a small thing? that God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve him and that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, you sons of Levi with you. Here's the root of it. And are you seeking the priesthood also? So you see what Moses is saying to them, he says, look, is, is it an insignificant thing that already God has chosen you as the tribe of Levi to be able to have access and proximity to the presence of God in a way much greater than all the other 11 tribes? And he says, and that he's brought you near to himself and, and that he allows you, verse 9, he says, to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting, to get to stand before the congregation and to serve the Lord. In other words, Moses is saying, look, you already have a ministry. God is allowing you to minister. He's, He's drawn you in and let you be a part of the very sacred, holy things of God. He's letting you touch His work. He's allowing you to serve. He even lets you stand publicly Before the congregation and to serve the Lord and it wasn't as if these were just individuals who had no access to anything and didn't get to, these were individuals who were very deeply integrated but they weren't content just doing what they were doing, they felt that they needed to do a little more. They felt that they needed a little more opportunity as if somehow they couldn't be content with the ministry God gave them. They felt somehow that that was inferior and therefore they wanted the next step up. They wanted the next rung on the ladder. And here Moses is is questioning that. Again, they were Levites and, and again, all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were called to be priests. You had to be of the family line of Aaron. So, so yes, every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was called to be a priest. And, And this is what their struggle was. He says, are you now seeking the priesthood also? Are you not content in serving where God has you? Is it that you have to push presumptively to try and become something beyond what you are? Verse 11, therefore, you and all your company are gathered together, look what he says, against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you can plan against him? In other words, he's saying the root of the issue in your heart, again, it may be being played out on the horizontal, but he says, what's Aaron? Who's Aaron? The only reason he's a priest is because God made him a priest. There's nothing special about Aaron. And he says, what you're doing is you're actually rebelling against the Lord. You're rebelling against what God has designed here. And so again, the root problem is uh, there was a lack of appreciation for what god had allowed them to do and a lack of of contentment for functioning in the place and the sphere where god had already assigned them to and i'll tell you something that can be a challenge for all of us because sometimes we can struggle with a lack of appreciation for what god's already allowed us to do We can struggle with a lack of contentment for what he has given us the privilege to do and that then makes us envious and jealous and sometimes self-seeking rather than being appreciative for all the blessings God has put in your life. Look, he says, is it a small thing, verse 9, that God has separated you so that you can come near to him? Look, we as, as people should be incredibly, incredibly appreciated that our sins are blotted out and we have a living access to Jesus and have a relationship with God and we can come near to God. If all he ever did was forgive our sins and assure us eternal life and he never did anything else for us, that's not a small thing. That's a huge thing. A huge thing. But see, when we fail to appreciate that, we fail to find contentment in the Lord. That's why the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain because so often it's the lack of contentment in us that makes us then envious and we feel deprived and well how come i'm not able to do this and, and they're getting to do that and and that's what stirs all that fleshly stuff within us out of lack of appreciation and contentment we become rebellious in our spirit and we begin to act and behave in the ways that these individuals are well verse 12 it says moses sent to call dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. So Korah was present, but they weren't around. So Moses sends for these other two who were part of this, Dathan and Abiram. He calls for them, look at verse 12, and they said, we will not come up. You You can see the rebellion in their hearts here. Just totally, we will not come up. They just totally disregard his authority uh, as the shepherd leader of God's people in Israel. We will not come up. Is it a small thing? Now they begin to lay into Moses themselves. Is it a small thing? Look what they say. That you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in this wilderness? Now keep in mind, what are they doing? They're calling the land of Egypt the land flowing with milk and honey. You brought us out of that land flowing with milk and honey. You see how distorted people's perspectives get when they're not submitted to God? God. It is amazing how off our perspective towards things can become, our perception of how we interpret life and interpret things. I mean, they're calling Egypt the land flowing with milk and honey. You brought us out of there, Moses. We were in the land flowing with milk and honey, this whole dumb deliverance thing you did. And you brought us out here to kill us in the wilderness that you should, verse 13, keep acting like a prince over us. Who do you think you are? Keep trying to act like you're our leader and be a prince over us. Moreover, verse 14, notice the other accusation. You have not brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us an inheritance or fields and vineyards. And will you put out the eyes of these men? Again, they emphasize, we will not come up. We're not answering what you're asking us to do. So again, now they blame Moses for why they're what? Not going into the promised land hello that wasn't moses's fault the reason they're not going to the promised land was because what they re- when the spies came back they rebelled against god leading them to go in but they're blaming moses for why they're now not going into the promised land and saying to him are you going to put out the eyes of these men the idea is that are you, are you going to put out the eyes are, are you going to just try and keep blinding more people to what you're really up to moses and see, this is what happens again when a, when a, when a heart becomes rebellious against authority. Again, It, it can happen in the workplace where you, where you begin, then you begin to question and read into everything sometimes maybe that a leader's doing. Oh, they're just trying to blind everybody to what they're up to. They're trying to put people's eyes out. And Moses, we know what you're doing. You're just trying to be sneaky here and you're just gonna try and blind everybody's eyes so you can keep taking control and taking advantage of people and manipulating them for so again just the complete distortion of perspective that's come into their minds because of what rebellion in their hearts because of envy in their hearts because of self-interest and self-seeking and selfish ambition man this stuff clouds our judgment really clouds our judgment then moses verse 15 at this point was it says very angry and he said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have taken, I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. In other words, Moses says, look, Lord, you, you know, I've never taken advantage of them or somehow manipulated them for my own self-interest or caused harm to them. Uh, he, he, he speaks to the Lord, which is a really wise thing because the beginning of verse 15 says he was what? Very angry. And, and this is this is justified righteous anger because of what's going on. I appreciate this that the Bible is honest, that the Bible is transparent. It doesn't, you know, portray this idea that somehow to be spiritual means that you never get angry. And some people have this wrong idea that that to be angry is sinful. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible says that God is just slow to anger. It does not say that God does not get angry sometimes getting angry is the only right moral response to certain things. There are times when you are deceiving yourself more and doing an unhealthy thing when you're trying to act like you're not angry when you should be angry. The Bible says we are created in the image and likeness of God, which means part of that is that he's created us with the same, in some ways, attributes and emotional experiences that God has. The scriptures just tell us in Ephesians, be angry but sin not and don't let the sun set on your wrath in other words god says be angry there are times when you should be angry if you can watch certain things that happen in the news or like what happened last wednesday evening where somebody goes into a midweek worship service like this and sits there for an hour and then just mows down vulnerable people and murders people inside of a church and there's not a part of that that beyond being a little greedy, you feel a little Angered towards that somebody would do that in that cowardly way to, to just take people's innocent lot. I mean, there if you can watch the news and see children being abused and certain things don't make you angry, there's, that's almost something wrong with that. And there are going to be times where people are going to do hurtful, mean, cruel things to you, as is what's happening here to to Moses. He's being falsely accused, attacked. He People are saying cruel and mean things to him and, and, and he's just exasperated. I mean, this isn't the first time this has been happening. And, and the r- normal response is he was very angry at this point. He was very angry. But the thing is, is he didn't let his anger translate into sinful reaction. He gets angry and he does not grab them by the throat and say, you want to sue? He doesn't do that. It says he get angry and he talks to the Lord about it. He processes his anger in a constructive way rather than a destructive way again emotions need to be indicators not dictators our emotions indicate to us what's going on something's going on i am very angry right now and it was okay it's okay to be very angry sometimes at a person towards people if something unjust or wrong happens but how do we process the anger We don't want to process in a destructive way, but in a constructive way. So Moses does the wise thing. He's very angry and he talks to the Lord about it. He says, Lord, I'm angry. And and, and Lord, you know my heart and you know I've never done the things that these people are saying. And he, he just processes it very wisely. Great example by bringing it to the Lord. Well, Moses then, after he talks to the Lord, he then talks to Korah. There's a great example. When you're very angry, talk to the Lord first blow your smoke and then with a little less fire you'll be able to talk in a constructive way with those you're angry with so he then turns to Korah and says tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord you as well as Aaron Let each take his censer and put the incense in it, and each of you bring a censer before the Lord, 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with a censer. So every man took a censer, they put fire in it and laid the incense in it and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Verse 19, and Korah gathered, notice how it's changed now, all the congregation against them. Wait a minute, I thought he only had 250. Now the Bible's saying all the congregation he's gathering there for this sort of showdown for God to show who his hand was upon, who he had selected for this role of the priesthood. Now he gathers all the congregation and what this is just reminding us is that you know rebellion and divisiveness it, it always spreads like cancer. He's breeding division now. You know, you want to write in your Bible here, Proverbs chapter 6, because there the Bible speaks about the the, the worthless person and some of the things that he does. One of the things it says there is that they sow discord. And then it goes on to say there are six things that the Lord hates lying tongue, feet that shed innocent blood. And one of the things that makes it into the top six list, Proverbs 6 of what the Lord hates, it says, He who sows discord among the brethren. Someone who causes divisiveness among families, among God's people, he says here we have this happening now. Then verse nineteen, the glory cloud appeared to all the congregations, so they're all assembled and God manifests his presence, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Verse 21, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. So Moses wasn't the only one angry at this point. Again, the reason he was angry was because he was experiencing the heart of God. God's ready at this point to just, again, bring judgment and wipe out the congregation because of that rebellion in their hearts, which ultimately was a rebellion against God's authority and what he had established. So he says, Back off Moses and Aaron, I'm going to consume them again. We see Moses in this role, stepping into it, doing what? Fulfilling the picture of an intercessor. It says he fell on their faces, and they said, O oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? This shows that Moses also knows the heart of the Lord. God, you would not punish the innocent with the guilty. God, you would distinguish. If you're going to bring judgment, you would not wipe out everyone if some people are innocent and some people are guilty. If some people are righteous and other people are in sin, God, you would distinguish in your judgment. That's a good reminder. God always distinguishes in his judgment. Moses knows that's the nature of God. So he just reminds God of this as he's standing in the gap as an intercessor to turn away the the wrath that God is feeling because of this rebellion. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, verse 24, speak to the congregation saying, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram. Notice they didn't come to him So Moses said, okay, if you won't come to me, I'm not going to just brush the issue under the rug. He takes initiative and he now goes to them. He goes to them and all the elders followed him, which is a beautiful picture there of the supportive role of Moses' leadership that he had those who as elders and fellow leaders stood behind him in the call of God upon his life and that authority. And they went with him as he went to go and address what was happening with Dathan and Abiram. And he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart now from the tents, look at it, of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, Now I want you to notice God's counsel here by the Spirit of God coming through Moses as God's representative in this instance where these individuals look, they're referred to verse 26 as wicked men and those who were in sin, in the sin of rebellion, in the sin of envy and and in essence what they are, they're, they're, they're troublemakers, they're problem starters. And I want you to look at what God's counsel is In regards to how we should relate to and interact with people who are troublemakers, people who are problem starters, God says very specifically, verse 24, get away. He then says, verse 26, depart from them. What God is saying is look, if somebody's a troublemaker and you see somebody's a problem starter, this is what you should do get away from them. Get away from them. Don't interact with those kind of people because you're going to get drawn into the catastrophe of it and you're going to become hurt or involved or in a sense become somehow identified with that. So God says if you see somebody who's just got a spirit like that, they're rebellious, they tend to buck the system, they're always kind of troublemaking, problem starting, you know, tending to always want to challenge things, they have that spirit, that attitude, you just, they're, just, they're, they're just the troublemaker, a problem starter. The Lord says, just get away from them. Those are not the kind of people to be hanging around with. Break fellowship, step away, separate yourself from them because God's going to deal with them very severely. And you don't want to have your hand involved in those kind of things by somehow being connected to them. So God here issues this counsel. Separate yourself, depart from the tents of these wicked men, touch nothing of theirs God's warning, lest you become consumed in the midst of their sins. So the people back away from the tents of these men. And Dathan and Abiram, verse 27, they come out and stood at the door of their tents. And tragically, it says their wives and their families, which seems were involved in the rebellion with them, came out. And Moses said, verse 28, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. So Moses says, This is how you're going to know. Let's let's establish a way that it is unquestionable in regards to what God's ultimate decision is and what God has identified. He says, "Let's create a way so everyone can know what the Lord's will is, what the Lord has determined." By this, verse twenty-nine, if these men, Korah, Dathan, Abiram, the the rebels, if they die naturally, like all men or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, in other words, if they just die of old age like everybody else, then the Lord has not sent me. But, verse 30, Moses proposes, if the Lord creates a new thing, he does something unusual, never been done before, distinct, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up and all that belongs to them and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men, again, notice what he says, have rejected the lord so moses very wise he says look l- 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 let's let god prove that he's god and he proposes this way he doesn't say look if there's a, a gentle you know uh, sprinkle tomorrow then uh, if there's a light rain then it, he, he creates something completely very unusual kind of like elijah when he talks about calling down fire from heaven whoever's god answers by fire when he's you know contending with the prayer he does something so unique he says If something unique happens where the earth opens up and just just swallows these men that then you'll know that it was God and and indeed that it had nothing to do with me but that they've rejected the Lord and that was a sign of God's dealing with them in severe judgment verse 31 now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men of Korah with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit and it closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Wow. I actually have that written in my Bible there from a long time ago. Wow. (laughs) That's pretty severe. That's pretty awesome. You know, I don't know what commentary there is to say upon that other than apparently rebellion is pretty displeasing to God. That's pretty severe. God just opens the earth and just swallows them. Why? Because he knows as well, not only what they had done is wrong, but the detrimental effect that people like that have if they remain among other people. When troublemakers remain, when divisive people remain, when look, this kind of stuff spreads like cancer. So sometimes God will eradicate that kind of stuff. It's like cancer. And therefore God will sometimes, as he knows, cancer can spread and destroy a whole body. Sometimes God will very radically say, you know what? that is a troublemaking problem starting person. And in some way, God may deal with them very severely and remove them somehow. I'm not saying he's going to open the earth and you know, swallow your contentious employee that's causing problems at your job site. <laughs> but, but sometimes God says, look, they need to be removed because they're cancerous, they're unhealthy. And that's why you don't want to be involved with people like that because typically people like that, Proverbs 6 says calamity comes upon them and you don't want to get swallowed up in their calamity. So you stay away from that kind of stuff. You just let God be God and let the Lord deal with those kind of things. Verse 34, then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry and they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And then if that weren't enough, what about the other 250 who jumped on the bandwagon? Well, verse 35 says, fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. So fire just comes and Burns them and consumes them alive, eradicates them as well. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy, and scatter the fire some distance away. And the censers of those men who had sinned against their own souls, isn't that an interesting statement? Sinned against their own souls let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore, they are holy. That is the censers that belong still to God's ministry. And they shall become a sign to the children of Israel. So Eliezer the priest took the bronze censers, those which are burned up had presented and they were hammered out as a covering for the altar to be a memorial, which is basically a reminder, a memorial reminder, a way to call to memory something. They shall become hammered out as a covering for the altar to be a memorial reminder for the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord that he might not become like Korah and his companions just as the Lord sent to him through Moses. Again, Hebrews 5 giving commentary on the priesthood. Hebrews 5 says, No man takes this honor to himself. He must be called by God. It's important. To know what we're called by God to do and to not ever try and push ourselves into a place that's not something God has called us to, but to have reverence and to have humility and to say, Lord, I want to be everything you've called me to be, but I don't want to try and strive to be something that I'm not. And I don't want to push past boundaries where I shouldn't be in presumption or let self-seeking agendas or selfish ambitions make me try and take some honor to myself that that I really shouldn't be trying to take to myself, but to, to let God work through those things and just to be content and appreciative where he has us and to serve faithfully there. So these bronze coverings on the altar would be a reminder to try and help protect that propensity in the people's hearts from doing the same thing. Now, Verse 41, quite astonishing, on the next day. So the day after, the earth swallows a few people. The day after, fire comes out and devours 250 of the rest of the rebels. Very next day, everybody is flying straight now, right? Hey, we're going to be good for a little while. The very next day, (laughs) the children of Israel, the whole congregation complained against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. <laughs> this is all your fault, Moses. Now you're killing people. You're, you, you, you've killed the people of the Lord. Verse 42, now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron. They turned toward the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly the cloud covered it. The presence of God now is being manifest strongly again. And the glory appeared. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, verse 45, get away from this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they said, you know what, Lord, just have at it. No, they didn't say that. That's what I would have said. That's why I'm nowhere near as meek as Moses. They fell on their faces. Again, the hearts of these leaders. I mean, you want to talk about love for people. I mean, you want to talk about a representative of Jesus. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I mean, the, the heart represented of Moses here, of course, he's a type of Christ, you know, Hebrews. So he falls on his face again in intercession. And Moses says to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense in it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for their sin. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly for already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. That is atonement for their sin as he's using the incense and making atonement. And he stood between the dead and the living so the plague was stopped. So Moses pleads with Aaron as the high priest to run and to begin to make atonement and to stand in the gap and intercede because the wrath of God, justifiably, righteously, was coming upon the people for their rebellion and their sin against God, and, and he calls Aaron to go do this. Now he and it says, very beautiful the language. He's putting incense and making atonement. Incense is a picture always of what intercessory prayer. And to make atonement for the people. And verse 48, what a beautiful description of an intercessor, a mediator. He stood between the dead and the living. And so the plague stopped. Aaron, the high priest, is a picture of Jesus, our great high priest, where the wrath of God justifiably should be against all of our lives. How many times have we rebelled? How many times has there been rebellion in our hearts towards God and his authority and his will? And thank goodness for Jesus Christ, our great high priest, Who stands in the gap as a mediator and is the one who is able to stave off or to stop the plague of the wrath of God from coming against us, even as Moses here stands in the gap between the dead and the living to spare lives. Verse 49 Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who had died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped. Now please don't just gloss over that verse 49. How many people died? 14,000 people. You want to say sin has no effects upon people? You want to say that a person who has selfish ambition and who's self-seeking, a person who, who is arrogant, in their heart all the more when they're in a place of ministry an arrogancy takes over their heart and a rebellious attitude takes over their heart where they're not listening to nobody and they ain't even listen to God and 14,000 people are destroyed they die because of the ripple effects of that man, what a tragedy here As all these lives are lost, let's just read quickly through chapter 17 as it ties together with this. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod from each father's house and all their leaders, according to their father's houses, 12 rods like a shepherd's rod, a staff, write each man's name on his rod And you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, for there shall be a rod for the head of each father's house, and you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom God says, I choose, that rod will blossom. So God's going to validate and again, just confirm once again, this is whom I've chosen. He's just setting another way to confirm that. Thus I will verse five rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel which they make against you, referring to the incident we've been reading. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, each of their leaders took a rod apiece, the leader according to their father's houses, twelve rods total, and the rod of Aaron was among those twelve rods, and Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. And it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted, put forth buds and produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. So a miraculous blossoming forth of life. Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to the children of Israel and they looked and each man took his rod that had not blossomed And the Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me lest they die. And thus Moses did just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So God, again, in conjunction with what happened, look, in his graciousness and his love, he says, I want to further validate what my will is, what I've determined to try and as much as possible stave off and to try and retard someone to stop the rebellion that is in the hearts of people. So he says, let me give an indication, a way to validate who I've chosen for the priesthood and who I haven't. So he proposes this way where he says, take a rod. And again, think if you would, what is a rod? A rod in the Bible was always a symbol of authority. A shepherd had a rod. So a rod was a symbol of authority. But what was a rod just practically? A rod is is a dead piece of wood. Just a dead piece of wood. There's no life flowing through a dead piece of wood anymore. And God wanting to verify his choice says, I will produce miraculous life to validate whom I've chosen. And, And so God says, the rod that buds will be the one that verifies the individual that I chosen and that my hand and my authority is upon. And it says of Aaron's rod there, verse eight, that Aaron's rod miraculously sprouted forth, put forth buds, produced blossoms, and yielded ripe almonds. In a sense, what happens? This dead piece of wood, what does it do? Comes back to life. Sounds like resurrection, doesn't it? That dead piece of wood becomes fruitful and resurrects and there's supernatural fruit that comes forth on it. a lifeless rod springs back to life and bears fruit, validating God's choice and verifying God's individual. It confirms the leader by that supernatural fruit. And yes, in a practical sense, I think that God will always confirm his chosen leader by spiritual fruit, that they are having a fruitful effect that there is spiritual fruit that is having a helpful, fruitful effect through their ministry. If God's chosen someone, he'll validate that. But I look at this and think, you know, the greatest one that God wants to put his stamp of approval upon is Jesus. The, interesting how in the Old Testament there are times where Jesus is referred to as a rod or, or a stem that comes out of Jesse. And and, and and speaking of his humanity just would something fleshly but yet what happens God validates Jesus and who he is by what miraculous life he's miraculously conceived in the womb of a virgin woman and then he even dies and what does he do he resurrects something that's dead and has no life God brings it back to life and produces spiritual fruit through the life of jesus so again reminding only aaron could be the one that could bring people as a mediator into god's presence and god wants to validate jesus in our lives and in our world as the only one that can bring people to god the only mediator the only great high priest that's why jesus would say i am the way the truth the life nobody comes to the father but through me and God, as He validated Aaron as a great high priest, as wants to validate Jesus ultimately as His great high priest, that He would have that esteem in the sight of the people. Let's stand together. We'll.